Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you're staying warm. Finally, finally, winter seems to have really set in here now for a couple weeks, so it feels like it must be the real deal. I finally had to get my coat out of the closet instead of just pretending that I could run to my car and shiver till the car warmed up, so I guess it's the real thing, but good to be here with you. I'm glad you're here with us today. If you're a guest with us, we're super glad uh, you're here. We're in the middle of this project, the New Testament in our year. Uh, let's see, last week we read uh, Matthew chapter 16 through 20, and if you want to jump in with us, maybe you got behind or missed a couple days, we'll jump in uh, next week with Matthew chapter 21 through 25. That's what we're reading together uh, next week. So let's see, we're in the book of Matthew, and we've, uh, we've made it through four weeks, uh, or in our fourth week, and just to recap a little bit what we've discovered already, we've discovered that Matthew organizes his thoughts about Jesus around this truth that Jesus is the king. Uh, he, he starts by kind of introducing us to King Jesus, and then the new king gives us a new law, a law that is no longer focused on judgment, but is focused on blessing. And, and then this new king with a new law begins to command a new allegiance. We looked at that last week, and, and it, Jesus kind of makes it clear that everything rides on what you decide to do with Jesus. Uh, and this week, uh, although all of those themes persist, uh, if you might have noticed several texts begin to crop up that are about the new community of the new king, the, the kingdom of God, the people of God living together. One of my favorites, uh, I got to talk about it yesterday at the, at the gathering, the leader gathering we had yesterday morning, is Matthew chapter 20, which talks about how everybody's gifts are needed in the new community that God is building. Everybody has a role to play and useful work to do uh, in, in Matthew chapter 20. I love that text. But there are several in this section that are about the people of God and how the, the people of God work and live together. Uh, one of my favorites, uh, my very favorites, is in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, it's a curious text. It's one of the very few gospel texts that actually uses the word church. It's about the church, which is curious because when Jesus is teaching it, the church doesn't exist yet. It's a text about the future. Jesus is giving a message to the future about how when my church exists, this is how it must live together. It, really, that means it's a message for us, right? It's a, it's a challenge for us, how we are to live together. Uh, it's one of the most direct ways Jesus ever talks kind of to the church today. Uh, the text starts in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in just these three verses really all day today, and so maybe you want to turn to it. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, probably pull it up on your phone as well. It'll be on the screen as well. If your brother or sister sins, and I will say, I, I grew up knowing this text as if your brother or sister sins against you. I went to check, this is the NIV that says just sins. I went to check out the difference. Uh, it turns out that we have lots of ancient manuscripts, and some say sins, and some say sins against you. So there's kind of a translation puzzle there that the char translators have to solve. But either way, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two along, others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. This text is curious in in a lot of ways. Uh, One of them is, it turns out it's a little bit hard to understand. We miss, lots of us misunderstand this text. I know on on first blush you wouldn't think so, but, but we do. A lot of us misunderstand this text. It's also remarkably hard to follow. Uh, Every one of us here has stories of when we have not followed this text or when somebody else has not followed. It's a hard text to obey. But it also, it's an essential teaching. If we want our communities to be the kind of community that Jesus Christ is envisioning, if we want our community to be the kind of community that Jesus Christ, under his lordship, is trying to establish, it's just one of these essential practices of the church. Let's start by figuring out why we misunderstand this text. Uh, Here's the curious thing about this text. To understand this text, you have got to start at the end. That's not true about every text, but it's true about this one. Here's how it ends. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now here's the thing. If anybody other than Jesus were giving this instruction, this would be a cruel instruction. The Jews of that day despised the pagans. They were ritually unclean. They were unwelcome in their temple. They were unwelcome in their homes. Tax collectors were just hated by the people. They were considered traitors to their own nation. They had to hire bodyguards just to move safely through the city. So if anybody but Jesus We're saying that the end of this process is to treat them like a tax collector or a pagan. It would be a cruel rejection of the worst possible kind. It would mean that this process described in this text is not a process of love, is not a process of mercy, is not a process of hope, but is rather a process of judgment, a process of exclusion and rejection. And I'm sorry to say that we have sometimes read the text that way. As if somebody other than Jesus taught this text to us. Because if Jesus is the one teaching us this text, to understand how the text is, we must ask ourselves, well, how did Jesus treat the pagans and the tax collectors? If Jesus is saying, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector, we've got to ask, well, how did Jesus do that? What what did it mean? How did Jesus relate to the pagans and the tax collectors? And it's beyond the scope of this sermon, but you're about to read. If you stick with this New Testament reading plan, you'll know he loved them like crazy. 
He went to their parties and invited them to his parties. He threw special parties just so they would feel welcome. He went out of his way to in the marketplace, speak to them and include them and show them love and forgiveness and favor and invite them into his community and make sure they knew that nothing they believed and nothing they had done and nothing they had said could ever prevent Jesus from loving them like crazy. That's how Jesus treated pagans and tax collectors. Now certainly, in the practical outworking of the church, uh, a person being treated like a pagan and a tax collector, they might have to step out of a leadership role. I, I get that. Uh, they, they might not be entrusted with the finances or with eldership or be a Sunday school teacher. But, but the punchline of this teaching is not to despise them or reject them or ostracize them or humiliate them or gossip about them. The punchline of this teaching is exactly the opposite of that. The punchline is Jesus saying, okay, if they won't listen to anybody, then they're going to need so much extra love. They're just going to need all the love that the church can muster up. They're going to need you to drop the expectations you would have on a brother or sister in Christ. No longer expect them to live up to that moral standard or live up to that community standard because they've kind of rejected that. Just love them like crazy with no expectations, no, no implication that they would somehow reciprocate and meet that love. Just let them know that nothing they can do can tear them from the bonds of your love. This word from Jesus, it's a word for the church, one of the few places where Jesus directly addresses the church. And it is a word I know that will lead to difficult conversations. It maybe even will lead to hard leadership decisions for a community, but it is not intended to lead to rejection or ostracism or hatred it's meant, it's ultimate, the very ending of this process, if it were to go all the way to the end, is love. That's where this process ends, with radical, overwhelming, unconditional love. You see, to understand this process, you've got to start at the end. And then you see, this process is not a process of ever-increasing judgment. It's a process of ever-broadening the community of people who are intentionally and decisively loving this person, despite their rejection and refusal to turn from their sin. So to understand this text, we start at the end. But to follow it, now, this is tougher. Understanding's hard enough, but following's even tougher. Because, see, to follow it, we've got to start at the beginning. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won. You have, you've got the victory you'd hope for. And listen, 
This thing here, this is hard to do. Let's just be clear. This is hard to do. Now, I don't know, we're clear. It's not hard because we don't know how to do it or don't know what it looks like. Here, I'll describe to you what it looks like. It looks like this. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you, and if they listen to you, you've won them over. That's what it looks like, okay? You already know what this looks like. That's not why it's hard. Uh, here's the thing when I say you know what it looks like you know what it looks like in specific we talk about this on our staff team we say hey listen when we work together moving fast lots of moving parts in a big church like this every once in a while somebody's going to let you down or change their mind and not tell you about it and leave you hanging and hang you out to dry and we say listen you've got two choices you either just never say anything about it ever or you go right to them and you work it out But the one thing you can't do is harbor bitterness and envy or tell somebody else or go over their head when you haven't even tried to work it out. In your small groups, with the person who sits next to you in the pew, with a church leader, you you know what it looks like. I don't even have to teach you what it looks like to follow this text. You pull them aside and you say, hey, what you did really hurt. Or, hey, you may not know this, but this, blah, blah. Or, hey, I'm worried about you, and you don't want to hear this from me, but I'm worried. I see this pattern in the way you treat your kids, and I'm just worried it's going somewhere, and maybe you don't want to hear it from me, but I'm worried about you. This this text isn't hard because we don't understand it or don't know what it... I mean, it is hard because we don't understand it. It's not hard because we don't know what it looks like to do it. It's hard because we forget to love people. We forget that Jesus has called us to seek the best good for others. We forget that God's law is for our blessing. And so when we go to someone to call them away from their sin, whether it's a sin against us or a sin against themselves or a sin against others, when we go to someone to call them away from their sin, if we are doing that by the grace of Christ, that is not a work of judgment. That is a work of blessing. I'll be honest, sometimes doing this is hard because we don't want to reconcile. We want to hurt them. As I was preparing this message, I was kind of thinking of examples, you know, of when we get this wrong and the damage it does. And I thought of a few. And then just, just this morning as we were sitting here singing, it was like I just remembered a time from my life. I, I was just, oh, I'm so ashamed of it. I was, I was in college in our Christian fellowship group, and there was a guy in my small group, and I just didn't like him. And um, he did something petty to me that was genuinely wrong. And um, so I just started telling everybody I knew what he did, how mad I was. Anybody I could find to get mad with me, I would tell them. I told, I don't know, probably seven or eight people. We'd sit around and gripe about what a jerk this guy was. And in my defense, he was sort of a jerk. Um, word of what he'd done got through the grapevine to one of the leaders in the group. He was a senior. I was a freshman. We were both math majors. I really liked and respected this guy. He came to me at, in the cafeteria once, a couple days later, and said, hey, Ethan, will you come eat with me? 
And so, you know, I pick up my tray and go over and sit with him, just the two of us. I'm actually excited for the chance to tell him what this jerk did. You know, I'm going to tell him too. I didn't know if he'd heard yet. He said to me, hey, Ethan, I heard what so-and-so did to you. I said, oh, yeah, good. And he said, Ethan, what you're doing is so much worse. He had a fit of anger and said something mean. You're systematically trying to destroy his reputation with his friends. He, um, he knew I owned one, but he handed me his Bible. He said, you read Matthew 18, 15, and you go do it. I'd totally forgotten that story until just this morning. Sometimes this text is hard to do because we don't want to reconcile. We want to hurt them. And now we've got the goods on them. Sometimes this text is hard to do because we are willing to avoid short-term discomfort. We're willing to avoid the short-term awkwardness of having to have a tough conversation, even at risk of the long-term relational damage that will be done with our silence. So we let little things build up till we explode. Or we give over, over to gossip and it just goes through our communities like an evil virus. Because let's be clear, when we don't follow Matthew 18, long-term relational damage is done to everyone involved. My friend was right. The gossip that I was doing was so much more damaging to our small Christian community on our campus than anything he'd done to me. It was so much worse. I was driving a wedge right through the community, making people take sides. All he'd done was say one mean thing. Or maybe you tell somebody and you tell somebody and you tell somebody and then that person tells the person you're really mad at. And when that happens, when the word comes to them, it does not come as love. It does not come as blessing. It does not come as a path to forgiveness. It comes as judgment and scorn. You all have experienced this, right? So-and-so said, so-and-so said that so-and-so is mad at you because of what you did to them. Nobody experiences that as love. Nobody experiences that as a path to reconciliation. I bet everybody here has got a story of when this text was ignored and extra damage was done. I could think of a dozen where I was the problem. I, I remembered one time where it happened to me. Somebody came up to me once and said, by the way, you need to know, so-and-so is really mad at you for what you did, but they told me not to tell you, so you can't say anything because you can't know. Well, what am I supposed to do with that? Because here's the thing, they were right. They were right to be mad about what I did. I'd done something wrong. I'd been a jerk but I, I can't even apologize now. I spent like three weeks kind of being extra super nice to them, trying to make up for it, but it just creeped them out even more. Finally, they just said, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm trying to get you to forgive me. I was like, for what? Like, well, you're mad at me about this. And they're like, no, I'm not. I'm just mad for 30 seconds. I told one person. I was like, I wish you'd told me. I'm a great apologizer. I, uh, I had a friend once um, that I had developed 
a, a, a joke pattern with that I thought was super funny, and they did not. In fact, every time I made this stupid joke, it hurt them more and more and more, and they never said anything to me, but they told a lot of other people. Months later, one of those people finally told me I was heartbroken. I had done so much damage with this joke, uh, and I didn't even know it. I just, I just, I just wish I'd known. And here's the thing, the fault was mine. I was the one who made the joke that hurt their feelings, but some part of me was just a little bit angry. Like, why didn't somebody tell me? I would have stopped months ago. Why didn't just the first time I'd said it, just said, hey, listen, I don't like that joke. I wish you wouldn't say it. I know the fault was mine, but now it had turned into this huge mess. This is why when I read God's word, I can just tell that Jesus loves us. Because you read these little three verses and you're just like, oh my goodness, if we did this, it would be so much better. If we just followed these three little verses, it would be so much better. And, and it is, okay? Because for every story I've got of where it didn't get followed and it was awful, I can tell you a story of where it got followed and it was awesome. And here's the cool thing, actually, the, the, the problem is that most of the time when we obey Matthew 18, 15, it's awesome, but the story's kind of lame. Like, that's the problem. If you're obedient to the text, it doesn't make a super good story. Because most of the time, if you obey the text, you go to them, and you say, here's what hurt me, here's what's going on, and they say, I'm sorry, and the reconciliation happens, and the relationship is prepared, repaired, and it just doesn't make a super story. So we don't tell about those times. But that is the way it's meant to work. I, I, just, I just want you to know that... Um, it's meant to be just that smooth. You're wounded by a brother or sister in Christ, somebody who's part of your community, your Sunday school class, maybe it's the person who sits in the pew in front of you, you know, and you go to them, you name your wound, they repent, you forgive, and the relationship is stronger than it ever was to begin with. Sometimes, of course, it doesn't happen. They persist in their sin and their wounding. And so you get allies who continue to go to them in love. This process never has a goal other than love and reconciliation. That, just to be clear, at every point in the process, even the final point in the process, the goal of this process is love and reconciliation. This is not an inquisition that Jesus describes. It's an intervention of increasing outpouring of love and concern for the one who is hurting themselves or others or some, somebody. And it happens. Somebody asked me for my advice once three or four years ago, a friend up in Maryland. They came to me and said, Ethan, I know somebody who, and they described this pattern of sin that was destructive to some friendships. I'm so afraid to say anything, they said. I'm afraid if I say anything, they'll think I'm being judgmental. Or if I say anything, it'll ruin the friendship. Or if I say anything, they won't listen to me. But I see all the damage that's being done because this pattern they have, and I don't think they even see how much damage they're doing. 
I couldn't make him any promises about whether it would say whether he'd ruin his friendship or how they'd take it or how they respond to it. I, I, I remember my advice. It was really, really simple. We only had a couple minutes, so I just gave the only advice I could. I said, here's all I know how to tell you. If I were you, I would trust Jesus. And Jesus says, go to them one-on-one, just between the two of you, and if they listen to you, You've won back a brother. So I would do that. A couple weeks later, they came to me. They were on cloud nine. They said, Jesus was right. And I was like, he usually is. You know, it was awesome. And I'm not saying every story works out like that. I mean, that, there's a process for a reason. Not everybody does listen and turn back. But it happens more often than you know. Now listen, before I land this plane, I, I want to just... Um, I've got to say a couple things as a clear aside, okay? If the sin in question is you being abused, physically or emotionally, confrontation is going to have to happen, but you've got to get some help first, okay? If, the, if going to this person puts you in danger, you do not go alone, okay? I feel very confident that if Jesus were here, he would add that caveat, Okay? If going to this person puts you in danger, you do not go alone. I also will, I do remember one time in my life where I knew I needed to obey Matthew 18, and I just didn't have the courage to do it, and so I did. I went to one trusted mentor, and I told them the situation, and I said, I know I have to go, but would you help me go? So I, I didn't quite follow the letter of Matthew 8.15, but it was the most I could do. It was the best I could do. And, and some of you may need that help. Tell a counselor or tell a pastor as you gain the strength to, to, to have the conversation you need to. That, I get that. That happens too. But these are rare exceptions. These are rare exceptions. And this teaching from Jesus, we just gotta, we've got to recognize this teaching from Jesus is for our blessing communities where Matthew 18 is lived out, where nobody gossips and nobody does side talk, but everybody is working for reconciliation and love. These are amazing places. And if you've never tried Matthew 18, doggone it, you are missing out on some of the most beautiful work of grace God might do in your life. So if your brother or sister snubs you or slights you or ignores you, don't tell anybody else in the world until you've told them about your pain so that you can be reconciled. If the person in the seat in front of you snores too loud, don't tell anybody else in the world until you've said something to them so you can be reconciled. If a Christian friend that you know is on a path of selfishness and destruction toward themselves or the people around you, don't you gossip about it? Don't you tell anybody else in the world until you bought them breakfast and said, Sister, brother, I love you and I'm worried about you and I'd like to help you get off this destructive path you're on if, if you'd let me. Boy, I'm telling you, if we did this, we would create a community that everybody would want to be a part of. If we did this, we would create the community that Jesus is trying to create. No gossip, no grudges, no old festering wounds and bitter resentments from years ago, 
where difficulties are quickly dealt with, where there is always a spirit of love with the goal of restoration. I'm just telling you, that would be awesome. And that is what Jesus Christ is calling his people to, to a community of that kind of love where we bear one another's burdens and forgive one another's faults and support each other in our trials and confront each other in our sins and build one another up in Christ. And that, the potential for that kind of community, which I see happening around this church all the time, that is why we have Connect Sunday. Because if you are not in a community like that, where your burdens are being borne, where your faults are being addressed in love, where you are being held together under the Lordship of Christ and the Spirit of His grace, if you are not in a community like that, you need to be. Real quickly, the Connections team asked me to be kind of laser practical here at the end so you would have some tools. And so I want to do that real quickly here before I pray for us. In the pews in front of you, uh, you got a card that looks like this. They kind of disappear in the pews because they're black on the front. But, but look at these. I'd love for everybody to grab one. If you'd grab one of these, that'd be helpful. Uh, we, we got something for everybody to do with one of these. I hope that on the way in, you got the booklet that lists all kinds of different groups. Um, and we've also got these cards. I want you to grab one of them. Our desire is for everyone who is a part of FCC to be part of a community where these kinds of disciplines of grace are being practiced. And so here's what I'm hoping you'll do with your card. I, I really would invite every single person to fill one out. Uh, there are kind of two things you could do with it. You could use this card just to let us know you're already in a group. That helps us uh, know, it helps us keep our rosters updated, those kinds of things, but also to know that you're in a community where you're being cared for. And you can see if you're already in a group, I know this is, this is different than we usually do it, but even if you're already in a group, I'm asking you to fill this out. Name, phone, email, not a lot of detail. Or if you think we've already got your phone and email, you could just put your name and then tell us the group you're already in. That would really help us make sure the people of this church are getting cared for. And if you're not in a group, I'm just, I'm just making the best invitation I know how. Um, there are places in this church where you could be loved like that, where there's grace like that, where there is forgiveness like this. And I don't want you to miss out on it. I don't want you to be disconnected from the, the greater community God has for you. And so it's real simple. Just give us name, phone, email, and just check the box. Interested in finding out more about groups? You'll get a couple friendly emails and a friendly phone call. If you ignore them, we'll go away. Don't worry. But if you don't ignore them, you'll have a chance to learn about some of our group options and find one that might work for you. At every exit, there should be people collecting these on the way out, so we're hoping you'll give these. Uh, please fill this out, whether you're in a group or not. That's a big help to us, to caring for our people, as we think Jesus has called for us the best we know how. Right now, though, if you'd let me, I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray a really practical blessing on you, that each one of us might live out Matthew 18, 15 through 17. And if we do, I believe that Jesus will ex have us experience in our life a blessing because of that obedience. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this teaching. I thank you for the clarity of understanding that comes when we remember how you treated all these people, always with love, always with care, always with forgiveness. But it is a hard teaching, God. 
Some of us need to obey this teaching even right now, and we're having trouble working up the nerve to say what needs to be said, and, and it, our tongue gets stuck in our mouths. And so, God, I just pray that right now we would be able to look past our present difficulty, look past that to see the blessing that would come if we would obey you in this teaching. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, right now I invite you to stand. We close our service by singing our commitment together. Commitment to the one who has forgiven us and called us away from our sin, but also commitment to be Christ's people. Working for love and reconciliation in all our relationships. Let's sing our commitment together. Amen. And I ran.